Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Apostle Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 12 through 24, in the New Testament section of your Red Pew Bibles on page 171. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. God, source of all light, by your word you give light to the soul. Pour out upon us the spirit of wisdom and understanding, that, being taught by you in Holy Scripture, our hearts and minds may be open to know the things pertaining to life and holiness. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 12 through 24. Indeed, this is our boast, the testimony of our conscience. We have behaved in the world with frankness and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and all the more toward you. For we write you nothing other than what you can read and also understand. I hope you will understand until the end, as you have already understood us in part, that on the day of the Lord Jesus, we are your boast, even as you are our boast. Since I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first, so that you might have a double favor. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to ordinary human standards, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For in him every one of God's promises is a yes. For this reason it is through him that we say the Amen to the glory of God. But it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us by putting his seal on us and giving us his spirit in our hearts as a first installment. But I call on God as witness against me. It was to spare you that I did not come again to Corinth. I do not mean to imply that we lord it over your faith. Rather, we are workers with you for your joy because you stand firm in the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, the Lord be with you, First Prayers. Thank you. It's good to be together in God's house on this beautiful Sunday morning. And last Sunday, when we were together, we started our conversation in the book of 2 Corinthians. 
And the teaching series, we're calling it Encouragement for a Grace-Filled Church. And that's who we are. We are a grace-filled church, but we're always in need of encouragement. And we're basing the entire series on major sections of 2 Corinthians. And if you've never read 2 Corinthians, I just want to offer to you as a gift this opportunity to read this book in its entirety as we go through the series, if you've never read it before. But if you've read it before, then I'm also offering to you this opportunity to refresh your memory and your understanding of this very important book and its core message. I actually know of one small group in our church that actually decided to take up the challenge and to read through the letter as we're going through the series. And I just felt very good about that. And I would urge other small groups, if you're looking for something to read together, that this would be a possibility. This would be something you could read. And if you'd like me to send you the outline to the series, I'd be happy to do that too. Here's what I love about 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. It really shows what I call the, the underbelly of what people and churches endure. And even though Paul wrote these letters somewhere toward the middle of the first 100 years of the Christian church, the human situations that he talks about in the letter are so resonant for our time and for our day. So whether it's in 54 AD or whether it's in 2021, at our core as human beings, we are essentially the same. And that's the reason why I think it would be worth your effort to uh, take some time and read this book. So what you'll find in the series is that the church and life in the church is both glorious and it's hard. People and churches sometimes live with what I call a, a cup half empty mentality. We, we focus on our gaps, whether it's our own gaps personally or what we see in other people. We focus on our debts. We focus on our lacks instead of focusing on the riches of God's grace in Jesus Christ, that we are indeed a blessed community. And I think this was what 2 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians was all about. Paul wrote these two letters, two very long letters to these churches to encourage them. And then I have a very, very quick outline, a very brief outline of 2 Corinthians that I want you to take a look at. So if you read chapters 1 through 7 of 2 Corinthians, Paul is mostly happy that his first letter did eventually provoke change and repentance among the people. And you'd have to go back and read parts of 1 Corinthians to understand what the issues were and why now in the second letter he is generally excited by the response that he's seeing. And then when you read chapters 8 through 9, Paul seems to acknowledge that things are changing, things are mending, and so he encourages the congregation now to give some of their resources, as they had promised, to help the church in Jerusalem. And he sees that as a sign that people are being reconciled together and with God. 
And then in chapters 10 through 13, he continues to defend his, his apostleship. There were still people in that community who questioned whether or not he truly was an apostle of Jesus. And he goes at length in chapters 10 through 13 to explain that. But make no mistake, friends, at the core of this book, this book is all about Jesus Christ. And Paul says it very clearly to us. He says it's not about us. And then he says in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 5, for we do not proclaim ourselves. It's not about us. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as, as your slaves, your servants for Jesus' sake. Now, a lot of Paul's letters have different tones. When you read, let's say you read Philippians versus reading Romans or reading Galatians, there's a certain tone to the book. And in some of those books, you see Paul's academic training coming out. You see the rigor of his theology. You see his intellect. I mean, it's evident in some of his letters. When he wrote the, the, letter to the, the first letter to the Corinthians, he was dealing with a lot of problems in the church. He was calling out sin. He was rebuking complicity. He tried to correct some of the spiritual abuses that were among the leaders and the people. He wanted to, to, to squelch the narrow-mindedness about spiritual gifts and the disorder that was going on in the worship services and the confusion about the resurrection of the dead. That letter, if you read it, was sort of an in-your-face kind of letter that needed to be sent because the church was in such chaos. So you can just imagine how feathers were ruffled, feelings were hurt, and people were just in a, in a, in a tiff about what Paul had to say. But 2 Corinthians has a different tone. You get the feeling that Paul is bearing his heart. He wears his emotions on his sleeves. He's not hiding it. He's passionate, and then sometimes he gets angry, and then other times he is mourning and lamenting. What's the purpose, then, of this particular book that we're reading? Well, so much of what is written in 2 Corinthians is influenced by what he wrote in 1 Corinthians. And in this second letter, he wants to remind the Corinthians of how they how he had worked among them. He wasn't now defending himself so much. He was defending the gospel by placing both himself and the church under the authority of Jesus. He was still troubled, though, by their pettiness. He was still troubled by their tendency to side with popular leaders, to follow, to friend the popular leaders and the false teachers of the day who were spreading lies about Paul. And despite all of these challenges, this is what I love about the book, my friends, despite all of these challenges, Paul still loved the people of Corinth. And notice what he says in chapter 2 and verse 4. He says, For I wrote you out of much distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Paul loves the church, and as their founding pastor, 
Paul saw these problems for what they were. They were a threat. They really were. They were a threat to the gospel. And so I just love his humble approach, how he models how we as leaders, as Christian leaders, as brothers and sisters in Christ, how we should then conduct ourselves when these difficult issues arise. I can honestly tell you, there have been seasons in my own life, and I, I've lost count. There have been seasons in my own life when I've had to come back to this leader's approach to ministry, this leader's approach to resilience. Because when I read 2 Corinthians, Paul is under pelting criticism. He's facing rejection. And you know what happens to us when we experience those, those attitudes from one another? We, we have a tendency to close our hearts off because we don't want anyone to hurt us anymore. Paul could have closed off his heart. He could have retreated. He could have given up. He could have lashed back in vengeful and destructive ways. But I so thank God for this brother's model on how to deal with difficult people and with difficult situations. And really, this is what I want us to think about this morning before I take my seat. How do we resolve misunderstandings how do we deal with situations that has the potential to pull us apart? And do it in a way that glorifies God. And do it in a way that preserves the integrity of the gospel. And do it in a way that keeps the unity of the church and yet keeps the church moving forward in mission. And that's a tall order. Because just as night follows day, just as the winter follows the autumn, we in the church will experience conflict. We will have misunderstandings. You have it in your home. You'll have it at work. It's just something about when people get together and we care about the things we care about, those contexts are fraught with possibilities for conflict and misunderstandings. So what do we do? How do we resolve it? Let me just quickly share with you then what I think I see in the text that I think is still quite contemporary for us today. I think what Paul did, he resolved the misunderstanding with candor. Candor. And I'm going to use that word a few times before I sit down. What is candor? Candor is the ability the quality of being forthright, of being honest, of being sincere. And you say, well, how does that work? Well, here's, here's how it doesn't work. We mistakenly assume that the word candor means that we have to be aggressive with each other when we disagree, that we have to engage in a kind of verbal jousting, that we have to be brash and we have to be rude. And we have to tell people a piece of our mind. And then we speak over each other so that we can be heard. You're not going to get the better of me. You need to hear me. And we assume when we do that, we're being candid. And we are resolving our conflicts. But no, my sisters and brothers, there's a whole different sense in which being candid and candor 
must be seen this morning. It means to shed light. Candor means to, to shed light on a situation. Allowing important issues to be discovered and discussed. And it's interesting that the Latin word, the Latin word for candor is the word candere. It means brilliant. It means brightness, whiteness. It means to shine or glow. And it is from the word candor or that Latin word candere that we get the word candle. Light a candle. And when we are in points of conflict, as Paul was with this church, Paul lit a candle. Candor then involves two things. It involves character, and it involves the quality of our speech, our conversation. Let's just first think about character, because when we talk about character, we're really talking about the makeup of a person. Some in the church felt that Paul conducted himself immorally, both in the world and in his relationship with them. And notice how Paul speaks of his character in verse 12. He says, as to the testimony of our conscience, we have behaved in the world with frankness. Now, some translations say simplicity. When you look at the very source of that word in the Greek, it means with holiness. That's character. We have conducted ourselves in the world and with you, our conscience bearing us witness. We have conducted ourselves with holiness and godly sincerity. He says, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God. And I love how he says this, and all the more toward you. You see, if we're going to resolve our differences, we need to be able to trust each other. We need a record of who we are and how we conduct ourselves before each other. In other words, I think what Paul was doing, he was letting his life speak before he opened his mouth. And may God help me to do that. I like to flip it. You got to hear me and not worry about the life but Paul was letting his character speak even before he opened his mouth. You see, the thing is, even though you walk with character and integrity, people will always find something to criticize in your life. How many of us know that to be true? You could be doing your best and somebody's going to say, but. When you're walking integrity, though, and you're walking with truth before God and others, you have nothing to fear. The writer of Proverbs says that those who walk in integrity will never fall. You have nothing to fear because the truth always wins over lies. Truth stands the test of time. Truth stands the test of time while lies are built on a rickety structure that eventually comes tumbling down. So if we're going to resolve our differences, we want to bring a quality of being who we are, integrity to the conversation. But then we also need conversation. We need character and we need conversation. And that's the quality of our speech. And here, what we're going after here, guys, we're talking about truth. We're talking about truth. I read recently about a a professor who wrote a book. In fact, I think the, the movie by uh, 
Jim Carrey was built on this book about this, this, this professor decided he was going to speak the truth in every situation. So you can imagine how difficult that is. Because we all tell little convenient lies. Somebody says, what do you think? How do I look? Oh, you look great. Imagine if we decided in those situations to always speak the truth. How do I look? You look terrible. You say, well, pastor, wouldn't that cause conflict? It could. So it's, what I'm, what I'm ask, asking you to consider this morning, it's difficult to speak the truth, particularly when we're dealing with disagreements. So what was going on here? They accused Paul of being frivolous and shallow. Why did they say that? Look at verses 15 and 16. He says, I wanted to come to you first, I wanted to come and visit you first so that I might have a double favor. I might, I might, I might bless you with, with, by visiting you twice. Verse 16, he said, I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and then come back from Macedonia and visit you again and then go on to Judea. Why did he want to visit them? Because he wanted to talk about this, this letter that he wrote to them. And so they were all expecting him to come and visit and instead... This letter came with a guy called Titus. And they weren't too pleased about it. So when you look at verse 17, they were accusing him of being weak and inconsistent. They were basically saying, Paul, you are a wishy-washy person. And notice Paul's response to them. He says, was I vacillating when I wanted to, when I wanted to come visit you? Do I make my plans according to ordinary human standards? Do I say yes, yes to one group of people and then say no, no to another group of people at the same time? And boy, I've been guilty of that too. Instead of just speaking truthfully what I know I can do, I worry about pleasing people and I'll say yes, yes over here and no, no over here. And so they were then accusing him of speaking out of both sides of his mouth. Paul says, no, I wasn't doing that. Look at verse 18. As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has been yes. It's not been yes and no, but instead, he said to them, it's been yes. It's been a resolute amen. Let it be so. So they were disappointed that he didn't come and they used that as another means of criticizing him and pulling him down. And so he explains to them why he didn't come. Again, notice the candor in his speech. He's telling them the truth. You look at verse 23. He says, but I call on God as my witness against me. The reason why I didn't come, it was to spare you. I didn't want to cause more pain. Because if he came and they asked him why you wrote the letter, he would have been very clear with them. And he says, look, I just didn't want to cause you more pain. Plus, he said, and he explains later on, that when he got to Macedonia, he said that God had opened a door for ministry. And he wanted to follow that open door. Titus, his good friend, wasn't there. And so he left and he went on to a different location. 
So he was being very honest with them. I don't mean to imply that just because I'm an apostle, I can just lord it over you and get away with it. Rather, he says, we are workers with you for your joy because you stand firm in the faith. And so my, my, my encouragement to you this morning is that when our character and our conversation or our way of life and our speech are aligned, what happens is, number one, we avoid showmanship. We avoid manipulation. And more importantly, it prevents us from being shallow in our relationships and we build trust. You know what the opposite of candor is? The opposite of candor is camouflage, where we disguise, we cover the truth instead of presenting the truth. And we know that the military has to use camouflage to hide things from the enemy. They put camouflage over their weaponry to divert attention. They cover their vehicles. They cover their guns. They cover all of their equipment. And the goal with camouflage is to disguise everything. But friends, in the church, we reject camouflage. We live with character and sound speech. We become truth-telling communities. No lies, no secrecy, no deception, no cover-up. Candor, if you really think about it, is a form of kindness. And so I tell our staff, and I really do mean it, if you see something in me that is not measuring up, please let me know, because I want to grow. And I say to you, my sisters and brothers, if you see something in me that you think isn't on par, let me know, because I want to grow in Christ. Candor allows us to do that. That if all we do when we walk around in our relationships with each other and superficially pat each other on the back, we're not walking in Christian community. It is pretty shallow. Speak the truth to each other. It's a gift. Now, the reason why it's important is because we, we become more like Christ. And Jesus was a master of this. Jesus was able to model what it means to speak truth with grace, grace with truth. Read Jesus. Candor is critical for us today because we're all tired of spinmeisters, right? We're tired of people being insincere. We're tired of plastic relationships. We're tired of superficial people who just smile but yet aren't giving us the whole story. We want relationships to be solid in the church, dependable, trustworthy, transparent. And that's why I want to draw your attention to verse 24. I think I have it on the screen for you. Verse 24. Or if you can open your Bibles and take a look at verse 24, but it is God. Listen to this now. This is what Christian community is all about. This is, and I want you to notice in that verse the presence of the Trinity. It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us by putting his seal on us and giving us his spirit in our hearts as a first installment 
Don't miss that. That's how we become a grace-filled church. That's how we become a truth-telling church. That's how we help each other. Because God the Father, Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit indwells us as brothers and sisters and gives us the power and the strength to live the way Jesus is calling us to live. And when we are facing our differences and our misunderstandings, this is not the time to walk away. We live in such a polarized society where people cancel you the minute they find out you're not aligned with them. But we don't do that in the church. We are united in Christ. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit indwells us. And we don't have that option of ditching relationship. But what we're called to do then as people who are in Christ is to seek to shed the light, speak the truth on every situation. And that's what we do. And you say, well, why is that so important? Because the people in the world who don't have a relationship with God or the people in the world who are looking at the church, imagine if they come among us and discover the love not a syrupy kind of weak-hearted love, but the kind of love based in grace and truth. Imagine what happens. They will feel psychologically safe. They will feel that this is a place of belonging, that people care. That is what grace-filled churches do. And I want you to be in prayer as we go through parts of 2 Corinthians. I want you to be asking yourself, how are we doing as a church? I want you to be asking yourself, are we handling our misunderstandings in the way Paul tried to do with character and sound speech? But do we snipe? Do we camouflage? Do we slander each other? We need to be asking ourselves, what's the character of our congregation? Do our words match our behavior? These are just some of the questions I want you to be looking at as we pray and read through 2 Corinthians, as Paul then sought to build bridges, deep relationships with that church. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And would you pray with me? Lord, we started this service by singing, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh upon us. Melt us and mold us and make us and use us. And Lord, I must confess, it's easy for me to sing those words. But without your Holy Spirit indwelling us and moving us and changing us, oh God, we will, we will walk in insincerity with each other and we will, we will fumble so many solvable misunderstandings and they become bigger and they separate us. And Lord, I pray you would forgive us this morning. I pray for healing for relationships in the home, and in the church that would speak to each other and we would live before each other in a way that honors Jesus. We pray all of this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.